0: tiktok side hustles they promise big money for little effort but do they really work what's up what's up nick Loper here welcome to the side hustle show it's the entrepreneurship podcast you can actually apply today we're looking at the good the bad and the ugly of side hustles that are popular on tiktok and to help me do it is daniela flores daniela runs iliketodabble.com and is a self-proclaimed side hustle queen so this will be a lot of fun daniela welcome to the side hustle show
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. We've got a long list of TikTok side hustles to run through. So let's get right into it. Guests first, uh, what have you got for us?
1: All right. So I've been seeing a lot of TikToks about dropshipping, but a lot of these TikToks that I see about dropshipping claim it to be passive income, an easy side hustle to start in 2022, all of you know the things that make it sound a little too good to be true. And that's when you start to think, well, what's what's really going on here then when it starts sounding a little too good to be true?
0: <laughs> right. Have you ever dabbled with dropshipping yourself?
1: I have, actually. I did it right before the pandemic started. I had a print-on-demand, which is basically another keyword, I guess, for dropshipping, a print-on-demand store on Etsy. It was a small store, and it was called Goth Much. It was very much the gothic... Niche of bachelorette parties is what I kind of honed in on because I really at the time I was kind of obsessed with that theme of items like on Pinterest. I was helping my friends plan their own bachelorette parties and kind of get ready for their weddings at the time. So I was like this is fun. I'm going to kind of explore this a little bit more. It was a lot more work than I thought it was originally when I first started, but I had fun designing the designs like on Canva. I designed the designs on Canva. I used Printify and full for the providers of actually printing the designs on the t-shirts. I did t-shirts, hoodies, I did dresses like jumpers, I did wine coolers, and I think that was basically it. And using both of them, I connected it into my Etsy. I only did it for a couple of months. I was able to do a couple of group orders. But then after that, I stopped it because I realized how much customer service went into it. Because at the time, there was a lot of delays with shipping.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it was right as the pandemic was kind of starting. I was like, this is a little too much. It's not like something my heart's in. I don't really want to dive into this full force. So I like I shut down that store after I did those couple of orders. You know, I tried it out, to see if I liked it or not. But I really had a like my biggest thing with it was these items were kind of out of my control at the point of order. And that's what I didn't like about it.
0: Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's dropshipping in a nutshell is a supplier or distributor is sending products to your customers on your behalf and you never have to touch the inventory. That's the that's the kind of the, the sales pitch where like, what makes it cool? It's like, oh, I can sell this stuff. I just make my margin on it and I never have to touch it. And I guess I've seen it in a couple of different ways, like how dropshipping was originally presented to me or the po- the people having the most success with it were folks like Renee Delgado, who's on the podcast, selling giant commercial bounce houses, inflatable stuff. And what it was was, you know, he went through this really elaborate product research process. I want to find stuff that's not available at Amazon, that's not available at Walmart, that's you know, really kind of difficult to find locally. So kind of like high priced specialty products and then going out and establishing relationships with the distributors of those products and saying, Hey, if I get you incremental business, would you mind shipping it to my customers? And you know, building out this whole storefront through Shopify, I believe, and I forget that you'll we'll have to find his uh, specific URL for it because I don't want to misquote it, but you know he was able to drive hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of orders in his first year of doing this, but you know he you know put in the upfront work in developing the site and developing these relationships and then fronting the money for ads like a brand new site probably doesn't have a ton of SEO juice, and so he was buying Google traffic or buying Google ads for those targeted keywords and so that's one method that's kind of like my View of traditional drop shipping, and then the other method, maybe the newer method, is kind of like a you know a novelty type of product where somebody isn't going to be you know price comparison or price comparing shopping where that's kind of like an impulse buy. it looks interesting, and like okay, I'll go and get that. and your job as the drop ship business owner is really on the marketing side, the traffic driving side. And so you can see people doing this well on TikTok if they have an existing audience or they have a viral audience that they can go out and capture and it's just like a trending product where maybe kind of a short-lived business, you know, hard to really bank on that being something to quit your job on versus the first model, but it definitely can work, but you really have to, you know, play the, uh, you know, the product side and the marketing side and get those in alignment.
1: All right, the marketing side I think is the biggest part About a lot of these side hustles we'll talk about today anyway, but with dropshipping, it's even on Etsy, it's the biggest part. You do have the people already there on Etsy, you know, versus Shopify, where there is even more marketing that goes into it. But there's people on Etsy searching every day for certain items. And so if it's a niche that isn't too oversaturated on the platform, where it's not too hard to compete to kind of get, you know, farther up in that search algorithm. Then you know it's easier I think to manage from there if it's something that you're you know, like you're fully in. At the time I wasn't really fully into it, but it did help me get better at search engine optimization and like learning more about that on different platforms. But I spent a lot of time of doing research to make sure I was using the right keywords. I changed the titles of the listings almost like every single day, like tweaking little things <laughs> in the descriptions. Like I was doing a lot more work than I thought I originally would have to do. And the kind of research that went into the kind of stuff that people would actually want to buy, like the sayings that would go on those shirts for like, you know, a gothic niche bachelorette party or something that's Halloween themed.
0: I love that. Like a niche within a niche, just like very specific.
1: I think that kind of works really well on Etsy is like a niche within a niche or certain niches that are just more popular on Etsy. Cause you know, Etsy is more popular for certain things versus other things, I guess, you know?
0: Yeah. And the cool part is that you have almost no incremental cost outside of your time. I mean, Etsy will charge you twenty cents to throw that listing up there, but if you've done a little bit of research and if it's like the super specific thing that that person is looking for, like, hey, that's that's what I need, you know, so that makes a lot of sense. And it can be passive; it's very much a volume game where you got to throw up a bunch of different designs, especially for this, uh, you know, Etsy print-on-demand dropshipping uh, flavor of dropshipping. But I'm I kind of like it. Like we still get our like Redbubble sale notifications and stuff. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, a buck 35 or something. Every time that email comes through, it's like, hey, you know, passive income.
1: Right. It's still something. And I saw, that's interesting because I had never sold anything on Redbubble myself, but i talked to tons of other people. Um, a lot of them do love seeing that passive income th- come through, but you know, it's not a lot. I guess most of those people are like people that sell stickers on Redbubble or just small like little items like that. But yeah, the other version of dropshipping that you were talking about is more of like that legit, I think, actual full-on business. I mean, these are all businesses. That's the one thing is like these, when they're called side hustles, I think it sounds easier to people than what they actually are because they all are businesses. Whether it's a fully online business or one that you have to go into, you know, and talk to these manufacturers, maybe in person or something.
0: Exactly. Trying to set something up that has some... Longevity that hopefully you can build a little bit of a moat around versus a straight kind of short term arbitrage play where you just, hey, trying to make a quick buck. Nothing wrong with that. But that side hustle number one, drop shipping. Thanks for sharing that. Number two is transcription, which uh, kind of showed up in my TikTok feed. And the way it was presented was actually kind of clever. I never really thought about this. Uh, So the suggestion was to sign up for uh, rev.com. It's like a popular transcription service as a transcriber, and then dump the audio that they give you into an AI transcription service or into like dictation.io, I think was one of the ones that was mentioned. And oh, you can make a dollar per minute. It's like, well, it's a dollar per audio per finished audio minute. And the customers who are you know going to rev to have their audio transcribed, like if they wanted AI transcription, they would have done it that way themselves. So obviously you're going to have to do some cleanup work to double check the quality of those transcriptions. But that was one that showed up in my feed and i uh, curious to get your take on that one.
1: Oh yeah, this is a good one because I've seen transcription show up, you know, several times throughout my years of kind of covering side hustles online. You know, I've tried a lot of side hustles in my life. I actually tried, I was going to try transcription when I first like got online and trying different online side hustles. Um, and I came across Rev.com and I was actually going to give it a go once until I realized how little people were making. And I talked to just a couple of people on Twitter, you know, to kind of get that to get the gist of what other people were making. And it was always very negative. <laughs> it was very much like I did all this work and I only ended up making like, like $100 for like a whole month or something like that. And when I looked at the site, it's like 200 and something dollars, I think on average a month, what people make, which I think the same video you're talking about. I saw that one too. And the guy said, you could easily make $500 a day if you did it for eight hours a day. <laughs> and it's like, and then one of the comments was, well, if it's eight hours, eight hours a day, it's not a side hustle. That's my full-time job. But on the site it has no claims like that. I think the most you can they said the high their highest earners make something like fourteen hundred extra a month or something along those lines. Brought it up here. Oh, top monthly earning is one thousand four hundred and ninety-five dollars a month. And their average earnings are two hundred and forty five dollars a month. Which I mean it's still something if something if so, if it's something someone wants to try. Like I think it's great for maybe people that want to get into transcription as like a beginner to just like feel it out and then know and then like move on from there, but maybe not stick around on Rev.com for too long
0: yeah we did another uh, interview with a transcriptionist, and it sounded like she was getting clients from you know university researchers and uh, you know maybe medical offices that needed their stuff transcribed and even then, like she had the special like little foot pedal device, and you know even if you're a crazy fast typist, you know she was still you know maybe fifteen bucks an hour, maybe twenty bucks an hour. So just kind of aligning expectations with reality on that front but it's like, you know, it's a skill that just about everybody has. Like, can you listen? Can you type? Okay. Check those boxes. And so, and, and with the pressure from, uh, as the AI transcription gets better and better, kind of hard to really establish yourself and, and establish some unique value and why your hourly rate should be higher in that space. All right. What side hustle is next on your list?
1: Ooh, this one is the one that you brought up and I was I looked into it a little bit more because I was like, I don't know much about this one. It was drop servicing. So like kind of like drop shipping, but drop servicing done with services. And I've heard a ton of people talk about this on TikTok, mostly like freelance writers, because as a freelance writer myself, I see a ton of those videos pop up and what they make it seem is like, oh, I, I became a freelance writer and now I've created my own agency. So I have like two or three other writers that do a lot of my writing for me. So I can take all of these orders, make a ton of money like in one day, but then I just outsource it to they'll be using, they usually use writers on sites like Fiverr and they don't pay them a living wage. <laughs> That's why they're able to make so much money. Um, so I definitely wanted to talk about that one a little bit.
0: And meanwhile, the Fiverr writers are outsourcing it to the AI content so they can crank out a million articles at once. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can bring up a good point. Drop servicing is just a rebranding of an agency model where it's like, I am doing, I'm the front of the business. I'm going out and doing the marketing and then I have you know members of my team or other people that I trust like doing the actual work. It's like if I hired a landscaping service and they've had a subcontractor with a lawnmower come out and do the work, like is that an agency? Is that a landscaping service? Is that a drop servicing model? Like it's all kind of the lines are very blurred there. But we've seen some really interesting examples, especially in the home services space with home cleaners. like, yeah, we, it's not rocket science. We'll go out and hire professional home cleaners to do the work. And then we'll be the, you know, better digital marketers of the same service. And we'll take a fee as facilitating that transaction. So I'm like, okay, I think this definitely is a legit model. And maybe back in the day, it was focused on, you know, Fiverr arbitrage, where I can go and sell these services at a higher price point and they go find suppliers on Fiverr to fulfill it.
1: That's a good point, because a lot of these examples we're bringing up is, are things that are legit in a certain way, but a lot of times on TikTok, they're bringing presented in this arbitrage kind of way is like a hacky thing. Like, look at this easy way to make money. Yeah. And it's like, okay, not like that though, but they can still be done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the challenge always is, well, how'd you go out and find those 15 clients? You know, how did you go out and go build that book of business? And how can you fulfill that in a way that doesn't destroy your reputation? Like you have to actually deliver quality work and if you can't vet the, uh, the quality of the stuff that's coming back, then that can come back to bite you in a hurry.
1: Right. Cause I mean, a lot of folks in those kind of videos, when they're creating those videos they're trying to get these people to think, I guess make a way to get rich quick. And it's like, okay, you're thinking about the first thousand dollars, but when you think about the first thousand dollars, what comes after that? Like, cause if you don't deliver, like you said, then you're a square one again. So, I mean, like there's no shortcuts here.
0: No shortcuts. I, I do. I like this one from the standpoint, especially in, you know, local, low, you know, traditionally low tech, blue collar type of services, just because I think the level of existing competition isn't quite there yet on a digital marketing online first consumer facing side of things. You see websites that look like they're you know, 15, 20 years old. You'll see like fax us for a quote. And so there's opportunity to come in there. And be, you know, provide a better digital experience for you know, millennial homeowners who just, uh, you know, they're used to Amazon. Like, I want to hit the button and I would just want it to be done, right? I don't want to have to deal with any of this. So I do think there is opportunity there. Online is going to be a little bit more difficult. I think of what an example would be, you know, freelance writing. So we had Georgia Austin, who was prolific on Fiverr on the show about a year ago. And it was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, as my own, as I got, as I got booked up myself, like, okay, the entrepreneurial tendency is to like, well, I can, wh- what levers can I pull? I can raise my rates or I can go find other people to help fulfill the work for me. And that kind of was the path that she chose was, okay, I can start to build out this agency. And now she's got Wizard of Content, which I think was rebranded to Wizio at some point. But we'll link up uh, the episode that we did with her because it was, it was uh, eye-opening and interesting. It was starting out by taking advantage of these pre-existing marketplaces like Fiverr. Go where the cash is already flowing. People are already searching for this service over there. And, you know, as that that levels up. So that makes sense. So that's side hustle number three. More TikTok side hustles with Daniela in just a moment. But first, I want to share a tool that can save you time, money, and headache in your business. And that's our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you've ever been staring at a tax form wondering, which numbers should go in which columns or struggled to figure out an overly complex accounting software. I'm raising my hand as being guilty of both of those. This is for you. FreshBooks is the easy to use accounting and invoicing software that makes it simple to send invoices and get paid fast. Plus, it keeps your income and expenses organized so you won't be begging your accountant for help the day before your taxes are due. There's no accounting classes necessary and FreshBooks' award-winning support team is standing by to help you out if you have any questions. Inside, you'll find everything you need to manage your books, like invoicing, expense and time tracking, automated payments, and reports that give you a real-time snapshot of the health of your business. FreshBooks users save up to 11 hours a week by streamlining these tasks, which means a lot more time to move your business forward. I want to invite Side Hustle Show listeners to take advantage of a special offer at FreshBooks.com slash There, you'll get 90% off your FreshBooks subscription for four months. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle for 90% off. And big thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring the show. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Number four that uh, showed up in my feed was low content publishing, which we do have an episode on in the archives as well. In a nutshell, this is uploading a, you know, almost blank book to Amazon and having them print and ship it on your behalf. This is like journals, diaries, planners, um, you know, sketchbooks, notebooks, that type of content. Like, hey, you know, I love self-publishing as a side hustle, was one of my first side hustles uh, back in 2012. But the, the drawback is like, well, if you don't have the expertise or the time to you know go out and write the 25,000, 30,000 word book, like, okay, here's a shortcut. I can still tap into the power of Amazon, but uh, do it in this low content publishing way. What was interesting was the video, and maybe this was just by virtue of, you know, we had to tell this whole story in 45 seconds. So we didn't have time to get into the nuance, but it was like oh, look, this, this journal has, you know, 20,000 reviews. And if half of all the customers left a review, that means it sold this many copies. And look, it costs $9.99. Like, look how much they made off of this book. Like, well, you know, it's a physical good. And so, you know, you have, you know, a, a cost of goods sold and you have a shipping cost and a margin and like all this stuff. It's like, well, your author royalty is not $9.99 on this product. But it was interesting to, to see here. Very competitive niche, obviously, you know, low barrier to entry, but it absolutely can work. I don't know if you've ever played around with Amazon at all.
1: So I've seen a ton of those videos. Um, last year, I saw like the most of them. I guess there was like a couple of months on TikTok where like a ton of people are creating content about that. And I watched this one girl who I can't remember her handle, but her like her videos are actually pretty good. She did coloring books, journals, and just like low content planners. So like with basically just like calendar and line kind of things. And according to our videos, she did sell a good amount of them. She never gave like distinct numbers or showed anything really on the back end. And she never seen, she was just like trying to help people create them, but it would always just kind of end at the creation part. It's like, okay, the creation part does seem very easy. Yeah, you could create that pretty quickly. But when you get to Amazon, Amazon's also a little complicated. So, like, it does take a little bit of a learning curve. It's definitely high competition. So how are you going to sell those? Like, you know, what's like, what's what are you trying to go for? What? Like, what's your target audience? But I mean, it seems that like there's some people on there, that are definitely making money with this. There's like women on there that seem that they're like have whole businesses that they've created these low level kind of things. But everyone that I see, there's a distinct market that they're marketing to. They're not just these random planners that they're creating for like seasonal stuff, things like that. There's like They made a whole business out of it. They definitely spend probably most of their days thinking about marketing, all this stuff, thinking about their expenses, how they're going to cover those expenses and make sure that they make a profit. Because I do sell them for like, wow, you said like $9, even less than that. So it's like when you think about the cost of goods, any fees, sales, taxes, if you pay other people to help you like a virtual assistant, then what's left over for you?
0: Yeah, it's very much a volume game where you're making a, a couple bucks, a copy in a good case scenario so you gotta have either a ton of titles or just have a hit product that you know hits the algorithm just right or is something that really people are are after to make that model work. And when we did that low content publishing, that was kind of the the gist that came out it was like, oh, I have hundreds of these titles. You know, I just, you know, once I come up with a niche, I'll spin it across a hundred different niches. Or you know, just, you know, you hit this one title that worked. I remember on that call, it was kind of a round table episode. They're like, oh, you're the one with that title. Cause they all like knew each other, like from the research, like, oh, that that was your book. Good for you for getting that up. Tammy Crin is a member of the Side Hustle Nation community. She has a twist on this business. She calls it KDP for B2B. KDP is Kindle Direct Publishing. And she's like, instead of, you know, trying to, you know, throw, throw my product out into the sea that is Amazon and hoping for sales and hoping to capture search traffic, you know, going instead to an existing business and creating custom journals for them that they can uh, buy for their customers, or they can give as gifts to their customers, or they can have as an upsell for their customers. You know, maybe it's personal trainers, or she gave the example of, you know, real, real estate agency, right? Would be any, anything with their name and picture on it, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that they, you know, the home maintenance checklist, you know, workbook or something, I don't know. But that was her unique angle on that. So you have a built-in customer base rather than just relying on the, you know, people happening upon it on Amazon.
1: Right, exactly. So like she went with her target audience being an existing customer base. And then like basically that minimum viable product for that customer base, where like in contrast, the people that are making these low content, like journals or whatever on Amazon, they're just kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall and they're completely skipping the first step of the minimum viable product. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all it's very similar to the dropshipping on Etsy. Like if I've done my niche research and like, I think this is something that people are going to want because it is, it does still take some time and effort, not as much as like writing an actual book, but it's still, there's a challenge in formatting and getting all this stuff uploaded and, and figuring that stuff out. All right. Well, that was side hustle number four for us. What's next on your list?
1: So from that one, we can segue into the like digital products, printables on Etsy, because it's similar. Instead of being on Amazon, it's on Etsy. So you're creating these digital products, whether it's in Canva or Adobe, like Photoshop, and you are then selling them on Etsy to a target audience. And the whole thing is that you don't have anything that you have to ship. You don't have to meet anybody in person, anything like that. Everything's like, as soon as they buy the product, they download it. And that you, that should be, you know, you're good to go. And they call this a lot of time passive income, but it isn't 100% passive because you're still a business. You have to provide customer service. You have to do your business admin, all that fun stuff. It's definitely a side hustle that tons of people have had success with. It's just presented in ways where it could be, you know, maybe misleading, of course, just like the, just like the Amazon one as well.
0: Yeah, I think what people are after, are what the, the business models that excite me the most are the ones that have some level of leverage where it's not just trading time for money. And I'm willing to go through this period of, of pain where I'm not making anything, like or I'm working for so far below minimum wage, it's not even funny. But I could see the long term potential of that. I mean, you've seen it with you know the, the website business, the, the the I like to dabble blog business. It's like I'm not making anything, you know, for my first probably years of blogging. But over time, it takes the same amount of effort to write the post that ten people read or ten thousand people read, and you know it can scale.
1: Right, exactly. Like a lot of these side hustles are, you're going to spend some time doing something that you're not making money with. But just with like creating a business, the the money will come.
0: Yeah, that's the same thing that appeals to me with these things. Like uh, create something once, sell it over and over again. Like I I get why that stuff is appealing and um, definitely checks that box for me too. But yes, customer service involved, lots of market research involved to try and you know hit it uh, just right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of marketing definitely goes into it. It's funny because like all of us, at least I have fallen prey to these same exact things. Um, back in the day, searching on Google for easy ways to like make money online, trying them out and then finding out that way where it's like, there's no really easy way to make money online. They're simple when you get a hang of it. But there's there's always a learning curve. There's always time that you'll be spending not making money to put in that time or effort to eventually get there. Because, you know, like all of us, like just how we go to school for certain things or, you know, we get more experience doing something else. And then we're able to apply that to make money in a certain way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, seeing yourself through that period where no dollars are coming in, like just to stick with it long enough to get to the reward at the end is, is I think where a lot of people quit because it's super demotivating to be like, I'm putting yeah. in all this time and effort and I'm not seeing the results. And it's like, oh, if you just if you just kept going, yeah, I don't know. But I'm with you there. So, it was number five, uh, printables and planners on Etsy, kind of digital products on Etsy. Number six for me was an interesting one. The uh, caption was something like, you know, earn five hundred dollars for typing names on your computer.
1: Oh, I saw that one.
0: I'll click it on this. Let's see what this is about. This was through a site called Squad Help, which runs uh, like business and brand naming contests. Totally legit site. And what? was unsaid in the video was like, well, you got to win the contest to get paid. And so that made the average contest win was worth $300. And, you know, brands will say like, help us name our next product and stuff. And so like really cool, like if you were into creative stuff, like I had an old blog post on like, you know, fake band names. It was just like fun to, you know, dumb little thing to come up with a list of like, if I had a band, what would I call it? And if, if that's the kind of thing that you're into, like these types of sites, these naming contests type of sites like are totally cool. But the average contest is going to get hundreds of submissions too, so your odds of winning are really low. Not quite as simple as just typing names uh, into your computer.
1: Yeah. So I came across that video, and when I watched it, I was like, "There's no way this is real." <laughs> so I had to go to Squad Help to see, and I was like, "Okay, so it's a place that you actually like, buy domain names, or you know, find domain name on, or a business name." Um, and I was looking at their contest, and I was like, "Okay, this is." I guess this is cool. Yeah. I just, I don't get it. I don't know like how many people do they, how many people win and how much are they able to win? Or like how, what are your chances of even winning? Like how many contests do you have to enter until you win? And, it's, and then it's like, okay, where's the time that goes into that? That's not really a sustainable idea. There's like no guarantee of ever getting paid.
0: It's similar to like a 99 designs or a design crowd a crowdsourced graphic design contest, but just for names. So it's like probably takes less time to Come up with at least in my mind for me take less time to come up with a name than come up with like you know a, an actual graphic, but similar to that where you know they're going to receive hundreds of submissions and then you know the winner take all um, whoever goes with it.
1: So I mean like of course there's people that win there and then they're able to make money if they win. You know I did see one where they like also they use the AI to to crank all the names out. Um, which actually it probably isn't that bad of an idea either. <laughs> I mean, I mean, AI could be pretty creative in that way, where it doesn't have to think out whole sentences.
0: <laughs> now, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. What's uh, what's next on your list?
1: Um, next on my list is, well, one I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you should say it for the last because we're both we both have blogs, but I'll talk about the affiliate marketing part because I see tons of videos. I still see them today that come across my feed where people talk about oh, an easy way to make like they made two thousand dollars in a day. And I was like, this has to be an affiliate marketing video. I know it. And then it ends up being an affiliate marketing video because it's like with affiliate marketing, the way that they sell it is that somebody can, you know, pick a brand that they really love, put a bunch of links in their link tree on their TikTok. And then you'll start making some affiliate money because you are referring people to that brand to buy something from them. You talk about it maybe a lot on your TikTok. And then the money that you make, if someone were to purchase anything from that brand, it's a commission. It's like your affiliate income. It's in the sense passive because you're not doing anything at the moment when you make it. But the people that actually works for, they have to have like hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok and very loyal followers on TikTok, which the algorithm makes it kind of hard to do. And those people need to be going to your link tree all the time. You know, I mean, it's, unless it's something that's really really targeted. But to me it just doesn't make sense to sell it like that to people because it's like affiliate marketing is more like a partnership with w- between businesses to ex- you know expand their reach is what I see it as mostly rather than just any old person can go and be an affiliate marketer. It's like well that what's the what's your foundation of your business? It can't be just your TikTok because that could go away tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's a risky a risky foundation to build on. I mean, affiliate marketing, it's really the same as any of these businesses. It's like the equation of traffic plus conversions. Like, how am I going to get eyeballs? How am I going to get people to pay attention to me? What's the offer? And if it's an affiliate offer, if it's a product that you want to recommend to your audience, to your followers, like totally viable business. It's how I made the bulk of my money for the last 15 something years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know,
1: same. Yeah. Affiliate marketing is great, but not just by itself.
0: Yeah. It's like where, where a lot of people are going to fall short is on that traffic side, like that long, slow slog of building up that audience and building that trust with your audience and saying like, okay, this is how this is going to work. But yeah, absolutely viable. But you know, for beginners, kind of a tricky one to get started with unless you have that pre-existing audience or willing to put in the time to build that audience.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So that was number seven, affiliate marketing. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty Next on my list is dumpster diving. This is one that has been making the rounds for a little while which is really interesting. I mean, any business that you have a, you know, zero cost of goods sold, didn't cost you anything to acquire inventory? Like I'm listening. And so dumpster diving checks that box. This is, you know, going out usually at night, you know, behind hopefully you have like a more affluent area strip mall or something near you and seeing what got thrown out that day. And it was really interesting to see some of the videos where people you know were you know showing what they found and like, oh, I was able to flip this on eBay or I was able to sell this on Facebook marketplace for X and then made that a kind of a profitable trip. And then you saw some other videos where they were like, uh, you know, I looked around in 10, I was kind of creeped out. I, you know, a mouse ran across my arm and I was like, ah, I'm I'm done here. I didn't really find anything that was worth, you know, that was worth reselling. And so it was helpful to see both sides of it because it's definitely a treasure hunt needle in the haystack type of side hustle that I think would appeal to the people who like to do the you know, garage sale circuits, the yard sale circuits, the thrift store circuits just to see, you know, is there anything valuable here? Is there a diamond in the rough? It might appeal to you because there that, that thrill of the hunt has got to be a big part of it.
1: Oh, there is a, a part of this that I just thought of. So I know people that do like professional organizing for folks. Um, and this is like in-person professional organizing where they come to their house. Um, people that m- newly moved in, you know, they just, they don't want to unpack everything and organize everything. But the people that do this or that hire this out a lot of the time are very, you know, affluent, rich people. And a lot of the time they'll give away their stuff. I've seen videos of people that have, you know, and I've heard about this too, where the people will just give them their stuff and they'll just sell it. I mean, people that want to do dumpster diving, they could just do something like that rather than, you know, dumpster diving and then maybe getting bitten by a rat or a mouse and not being able to sell anything. But the whole professional organizing thing is pretty interesting. Like when you think about, you know, people just throwing out their stuff and the amount of waste that people create and maybe repurposing that stuff or like hanging out near like Old Navy or ton of those department stores that are in kind of like um, plazas like that, where they all have the dumpsters in the back. Maybe if they should hit up areas like that, where there are stores that will probably have good stuff in their dumpsters. Maybe going to their favorite stores and just looking in their dumpsters because they might find something that way rather than going to maybe a random dumpster. I don't know. Maybe there's a thing there. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Or maybe develop some relationships with stores that you like, especially if you find something that does consistently have stuff tossed out. <laughs> maybe it's like, can we cut out the middleman here? Like, could you just, you know, maybe could we could save the dumpster part out of the equation and just give it, uh, give it to me directly, uh, especially if you're tossing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They could talk to the store. And be like, if you're just going to get rid of this, um, how about I take it off your hands? Something like that. I mean, similar to like how some food pantries like they they partner with like cafes and stuff, and they'll take their things that won't that they're not going to sell at the end of that day, rather than those places throwing them out like BreadCo or Panera. I guess is what the rest of the world calls it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the idea of repurposing or you know salvaging somebody else's byproduct, I think, is really interesting. I came across a company, this was years ago, and it was similar. It was like you know, targeting um, restaurants and grocery stores for their food that was about to go bad and then turning it into you know, sellable compost. And they had this whole process. It was like, oh, that's really cool. Like You're taking stuff out of the landfill it was just going to get tossed, and now you, you got your inventory for free. Maybe even sometimes you could get paid to take it away because you're saving them on stuff that they would normally have to throw out. And now you're turning that into a sellable product. I think there's something to that. And I don't know what else, I mean, even, uh, you know, we've done a couple episodes on like flipping pallets, you know, some companies, you know, get this stuff in, it's kind of a byproduct to their business. It's not core to them. And so they're like, I don't know what, what do we do with these? If somebody wants to just take these off our hands, like, absolutely. We can, uh, we can let you have those. So maybe not dumpster diving specifically, although there are people making that work, but just like this, you know, repurposing, you know, uh, looking at stuff that was going to get thrown out. I think there is something, uh, to that. That was side hustle number eight. Uh, What's next on your list?
1: Okay, next on my list is one that I did not really see much until I got to TikTok. I actually never really saw it online being ever recommended until I got to TikTok. And that was, it's mostly younger men that are doing this. Like they got to be teens or early 20s or they have to be old enough, I guess, to be able to do this. They're probably 18 and like early 20s. But I see these videos of them recommending people sell life insurance. A lot of them are from the same company. And I looked it up. It's FFL life insurance, and that stands for Family First Life Insurance. So I did some digging, and it's basically just a life insurance company with an MLM structure. So the people make their money not from the life insurance that they sell; they make their money from the other life insurance people selling life insurance that they recruit. So of course, they're on TikTok trying to recruit more people to sell life insurance with them, so they can make more money. So it's like eh, that's not that's not a good thing to get into.
0: Interesting. So it was, it was. It wasn't necessarily that selling life insurance is a great business. It's that selling us. You know, we, I guess you're trying to sell them that hey, it is a great business, and you know, come on in under my umbrella.
1: Right. It's it's mis- it's very misleading because they're like, hey, I didn't have any. You don't need any experience to do this. I can train you. You sell life insurance. And the person in the video was like, I made five thousand dollars my first month. I only started three weeks ago, and it's like, eh, it's it just sounds very bad. Um, and, you know, with, I just follow what the FTC says about MLMs and I just kind of stick away, just stay away from them. I don't recommend them much, um, especially when life insurance is involved, you know, like,
0: yeah, there's probably some licensing or brokerage requirements to sell that stuff. Cause like, it is a highly regulated industry. Now that said, the, I imagine the payouts can be quite generous because it's such a, you know, if I'm going to be paying this life insurance company, especially if it's term life for the next 30 something years, like, it's a high-value customer. I would say uh, these insurance companies are paying a high cost of acquisition. So I could see how uh, doing it in an above-board way could be a lucrative uh, sales job, but you know, kind of hard. You got to be you have the have the temperament to make a lot of calls or knock on a lot of doors to uh, to get to a yes uh, in that sense. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that one. That was number nine, selling life insurance. Number ten was painting house numbers on the curb, like great college, teenage, high school type of side hustle, probably sub 50 bucks, hundred bucks worth of materials from Home Depot and just knocking on doors. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, I noticed that your you know, house number is a little bit faded. I can have that fixed up for you in the next half an hour. I've got all my material right here. It's going to be 50 bucks. What do you say? And, you know, it's a pretty quick and easy sell. So I was impressed that I saw some, some kids getting after it in this way. The only challenge is like you've, pretty quickly kind of saturate your local neighborhood, your local market. And then and then you're like, all right, well, that was a cool couple of weeks. Now what? But uh, I did like that one.
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've been seeing a ton of stuff like that on TikTok with younger kids doing this, which I, really, I think is so cool. Another one was these kids were um, washing trash cans and they would wash like 20 a day. And they said that they were paid like, it ends up being like 2000 something a week, something like that. Um, and they just like power wash these people's trash cans.
0: I love it. Like coming up with these niche cleaning services that nobody was ever thinking of. My buddy Dustin Reekman sent me a video about his kids doing just that. I think they were, I forget what age, but yeah, they, you know, I think, you know, they had some help, you know, started out with, a, you know, the parents posting on Facebook, like to the neighborhood group, like, Hey, you know, the kids are going to be offering this service. But yeah, it was like 800 bucks or something over the course of a week. I just, you know, I have a video of my son, you know, kind of plugging his nose and like hosing out our garbage case. Like, oh, it's so stinky. But, you know, it was a good little activity for them.
1: Did you pay him for it?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know if I did. You know, I was paying him like a penny a leaf, like at our new place. Like, hey, you help me help me clean up the yard. I'll Pay you a penny a leaf. So you know, we're working on counting and all this stuff uh, and money. But <laughs> now we can read. Total side note. And nobody can hire anybody. So you see the help wanted signs everywhere. Like now hiring, now hiring. Hey, you know, you could get a job at Home Depot, Daddy. You know, how much are they paying? Like he's like, and then he's like, Well, wait a minute, you only pay me a dollar for cleaning up these leaves. Yeah. I should I should go work at Home Depot. That's right.
1: Now he's figuring it out.
0: <laughs> yes. Washing trash cans. I like that one. Um it's in similar, you can't remember what else I saw. It was like, you know, cleaning headlights, even less like, I don't know if you're supposed to, but like the toothpaste trick on headlights work, some of these like niche cleaning services, gutter cleaning services, where there's probably not a ton of local competition, it would be relatively straightforward to spin up a simple brochure style website, spin up the Google My Business listings, you know, get your friends and family involved to leave those initial product reviews. And then if only a handful of people are searching it a month, it doesn't really matter, especially if you're doing it as a side hustle, because you're going to show up prominently in the search results and go out and, uh, and book that work.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day because I was like, we need to clean our gutters. So we're so, we're people that are from the Midwest where our gutters weren't like really that bad all the time until we moved up here in Washington and we're surrounded by trees and they're just completely <laughs> covered. And I was like, I have to go up there and clean this now. Like I would love if because there's people coming by all the time for pests and yard stuff, but they never come by on, like for gutter stuff. I was like, if you want to do my gutters, like I if there was just kids like walk around being like, we'll do your gutters. Like, yeah, you can do it today. I would immediately jump on that (laughs) because I don't want to do it.
0: (laughs) I don't want to be up on the ladder. I don't want to be dealing with this stuff. Totally. Well, cool. That was kind of a two for one. We had 10 painting house numbers on the curb. Number 11, washing trash cans or other niche type of uh, cleaning service. Do you have another one?
1: I'll talk a little bit about user generated content. So user generated content on TikTok is basically the only place I saw it too. And I think it was kind of born out of TikTok because on TikTok, there are a lot of brands that want to get on TikTok, but they don't want to use like in-house person, it's really hard to kind of make it seem natural and attract their ideal audience, especially if it's like younger Gen Z crowd. Unless they have somebody who's Gen Z in-house, a lot of brands won't really hire that, but they will look to other creators online to create content for them. In the blogging world, we call this sponsored content. And that usually goes on, you know, or in influencing world sponsored content that's usually done on your account in partnership with the brand. User generated content is when the creator creates content for the brand that actually lives on the brand's website, on the brand's social media. And the brand basically owns that content. You know, but depending on the contract that they draw out with you, the certain rights to that content, you know, will vary per creator. But how people get started, um, there's actually a couple of creators on TikTok, I can't remember their name, that actually help people get started creating user-generated content. And how they started was that they will pick their certain their favorite things in their life. It's very lifestyle focused kind of TikTok accounts about their life, very much like day in the life kind of stuff. A lot of it surrounds around like self-care items too, I guess, for women. Um, And they like to promote those brands on their page. And they'll actually reach out to these brands. They'll comment on their stuff. They'll message them and they'll be like, hey, if you ever want any content created for your brand, I would love to work with you. And that's kind of how they get started creating the content for those brands. The payment varies from person to person because, you know, there's a lot of contract negotiation that goes into that. And depending on that person's time, effort, you know, whatever it is. A lot of times those people don't need like much of a following because they just want somebody in their target audience talking to their target audience on their page. So it's nice because you don't have to build up a bunch, like this huge audience before you get like sponsored content, like how that works. You can, you don't really have to have an audience. You just have to be like in that brand's kind of demographic talking about their product in a way that connects with their target audience. But there's a ton of video work. I think that goes into it. Like you have to learn about, you know, video marketing and short form content marketing and, I'm sure it takes a ton of time because I know how much time it takes me to create videos. So, it seems easy with like, you know, surface level value while you're scrolling through TikTok, but I definitely think it takes more time. But it's it's great that there's like more options now for people to do stuff like that, like content creation without a huge following.
0: That's an interesting one. So, it's more of essentially being a freelance brand ambassador or freelance content creator for saying like, hey, instead of, you know, writing for your company blog, I would like to create videos for your company, TikTok, you know, and just saying, okay, that makes sense.
1: Basically what it is, it's like freelance content creation, which is, yeah, it's basically, it's a thing now. I mean, it's always been a thing, you know, with freelance writers, but I think with, with TikTok and the rise of video content and other new forms of this interactive content that we'll be seeing on social media, the freelance content creator will probably explode in a ton of different directions.
0: Do they share a sense of what might be typical in terms of rates or pricing?
1: Oh, so like... For the videos, I've seen them mostly kind of range between like $250 per video up to like $2,000 per video. That just depends on kind of like what they're promoting and the brand that they're working with. And I'm sure that brands budget because a lot of times the brands that you think will have a huge budget usually don't. <laughs> um, I'm sure they also work with people to help them get good contract um, reco- like contract clauses and you know all the good things because I work with somebody myself that does like all of my contracts for me. Cause it's really hard to basically learn how to be like a lawyer, you know, like this is what you're doing. Like I used to have to send my contracts to my lawyer to review them for me. And now I actually work with somebody who is able to create the contracts, you know, add in all this stuff for us, do all the negotiation part for me. So I don't actually have to do any of that because that for me was the biggest part for like all my sponsored content or all of my partnership content with brands is the negotiation and the contract process. And it was too much for really me to mentally handle on top of my other work. So I outsourced that piece. But if those people doing user-generated content are also dealing with that, that's a lot of work. And a lot of the time, they're probably leaving a ton of money on the table, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that people are taking advantage of this. So I did a video at the beginning of the year. It was like, you know, top five side hustles of the year. And one of them was, you know, starting that TikTok marketing agency or freelance service. Cause it's like, this is the fastest growing social channel. It recently overtook Google as like the number one site in the world, or at least in the country. It's like, a, it's a juggernaut all of a sudden, I don't no, you know, out of nowhere, at least for, you know, an elder millennial like myself. And, you know, a lot of brands want to get in on that. And could you be, could you help them do that? Do you know the language? You know, are you native to the platform? Could you help them come in and really make a splash. I think there's still a big opportunity uh, to come in uh, and do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of opportunity in that space. And when people are getting started in that space, my number one tip for them for to like, make sure that they get paid fairly is to talk to other people doing user-generated content. You know, start the pay, pay transparency conversation within that because pay transparency isn't just for the nine to five people. Online creators also need to get paid fairly too.
0: Yeah. When you throw it, don't be the first to uh, throw out a number. <laughs> exactly right. Always
1: ask them what their budget is first.
0: Well, we're coming towards the end of my list. Have you got any other ones?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think I used up all mine.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Twelve TikTok side hustles that, um, you know, there's all there's always some truth to it, but you know, do do some diligence and um and uh, and hopefully this was a fun conversation because I definitely had uh, a good time geeking out on uh, some of this stuff. But you've got I like to dabble What are you excited about these days? What's going on uh, in your world?
1: Oh, in my world, I'm really excited about writing. So I felt I, could, I did not fall into freelance writing. I don't know why I just said that. But blogging really got me into freelance writing. And I've been writing more into other topics that aren't just side hustles, like LGBTQ financial issues, LGBTQ rights, talking more about like ADHD and work and like mental health and work. Um, so I'm just really excited about the projects that I get to work on in the coming year and the brains that I get to work with for that writing Challenging myself in a whole new way, you know. Coming from the tech world, I'm just—I'm also trying to adjust to this new life of full-time self-employment after I left my job a couple months ago. I, I am loving it.
0: Congratulations!
1: Thank you. I'm definitely loving it. It's—it's it's a huge lifestyle change, that's for sure, too. You know, even though my workspace hasn't really changed because I've always been a remote worker, but having all the income rely on me now—not like in our household, but in the biz, like the way that I bring income now—is 100% on me. Um, that's a new. Uh, mindset block that I have to work with sometimes, but I'm I'm still loving it. What's new in your world coming up?
0: Gosh, what's new for me? Obviously, uh, focusing on uh, coming out of the gate strong in 2023 in terms of podcast content, you know, revamping some of the uh, look and feel of the site because it was last updated in 2017, and then uh, maybe taking a page out of your playbook and some other sites with this side hustle quiz idea. I know I've been talking about it for months, probably years, like just trying to help people narrow down the Breadth of options and say like instead of throwing 540 something episodes at you and saying good luck, uh, you know here let's maybe a, a more curated approach. That, that's that's the goal to um, you know to help help people uh, kind of choose their own adventure in a way that makes sense and gets people deeper into some of the long archives of uh, material that we've got. But that's uh, that's kind of what's on the horizon here.
1: Very cool. I'm excited to see it.
0: All right. Well, as with any side hustle or as with anything that you see online, usually there's a glimmer of truth in just about everything, but if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, Danielle, I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, make sure to follow along at I Like to Dabble on the socials, uh, especially TikTok after this conversation, at I Like to Dabble blog on Instagram, 100,000 followers over there, uh, Instagram celebrity. I am at Side Hustle Show on TikTok. I've started to share some of my favorite moments from the podcast over there as my uh, toe dip into the uh, TikTok waters. But big thanks to Daniella for sharing their insight. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.